This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today, and we appreciate those of who may be watching for the first time. Now today, we want to discuss a subject that I hope that you will appreciate, and I hope that you'll stay with us so that you can hear the lesson, Calling on the Name of the Lord. What does that really mean? What does it really mean to call on the name of the Lord. Now, today we're going to be offering a free Bible correspondence course. I'd like to emphasize the course is free. We want you to have it. Now, in order that you might know more about the course and know how to receive the course, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational, it's based on the Bible, it's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I would like to read from the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, and I'm going to read just two or three verses here, actually three verses, beginning in verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That's Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. Then back in the book of Acts, chapter 2, and in verse 21, are words similar very similar to Romans 10, 13. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts chapter 2, uh, that particular statement is a part of a prophecy from the prophet Joel, found in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. And the prophecy closes with that statement, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The same expression in Acts chapter 2 is the same expression in Acts chapter, Romans chapter 10. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now both of those passage are, are, passages are teaching that one must call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And that means that if one does not call on the name of the Lord, they cannot be saved. Now that would lead us to ask a question, what does that mean? What does it really mean 
to call on the name of the Lord. Does that just mean that a person should say, Lord, please save me? Is that what is meant by calling on the name of the Lord? Or does it mean that we say, God, please, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner? Is that what it means to call on the name of the Lord? Or does it mean that we repeat a so-called sinner's prayer as someone leads us in that prayer? Is that what is meant by calling on the name of the Lord? So what does it really mean? Well, I would say that if we can learn what it meant in the first century to call on the name of the Lord, then we can know what it means in the 21st century to call on the name of the Lord. Now, there's one thing I know for certain. To call on the name of the Lord does not mean that you touch your television screen to call on the name of the Lord because in the first century they did not have television screens. And it does contain the promise of salvation to those that call on the name of the Lord. But lip service is not enough. It is not enough for one to say, Lord, Lord. Why, Jesus even said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? In Matthew 7, 21 is a similar uh, expression. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's lip service. Just to say, Lord, Lord, and then fail to do what the Lord tells one to do. So what is the explanation of Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, of Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, and Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, where all three contain the same expression that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you read the prophecy of Joel from the Old Testament, you will find rather than using the word saved, you have the word delivered. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And in the New Testament, the word is saved. I know that in order for a person to be saved is the same for a person to be delivered from their sins. So to call upon the name of the Lord is to be delivered from sin. To call upon the name of the Lord is to be saved from sin. But what is the explanation? For example, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter in Acts chapter 2 said that whosoever or whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, what did Peter mean? What did he mean by that? Well, in order for us to learn what Peter meant by, uh, by people calling on the name of the Lord, we need to turn back to the book of Acts, to chapter 2, and we want to look at verses 22, 23, and 24. Now remember in verse 21, he said, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Now verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate, determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So in Acts chapter 2, Peter is talking about the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he preaches to these people, he explains to them in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now remember in verse 21, he said, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he preaches about Jesus, about the miracles that he performed in their midst, and they were aware of that, and about his death upon the cross of Calvary, and about his triumphant resurrection from the dead. And so as he preaches this to the people, he tells them that the one they crucified was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 37 tells us, when they, and when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And friend, there's never been a more important question that a person could ever hope to ask than that question, What shall we do? And Peter gives the answer to that question in the 38th verse. Someone said to me, Peter did not know what he was talking about. Peter was not informed. Friend, Peter was an, was an apostle. He was one who was inspired of God. And it was on this occasion that he was preaching the message that he had been given. And here was the answer to the question, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible teaches about the matter. The question was, what shall we do? Do what? What shall we do to be saved? And Peter answered and he said, repent and be baptized. What was he preaching when he told them to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins? He was telling them how they might have forgiveness, or what they must do in order to be saved. Remember the statement was, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what did Peter tell them to do to call upon the name of the Lord? He told them as believers to repent of their sins. And he told them as repentant believers to be baptized for the remission of their sins. Now that's what Peter on the day of Pentecost recorded in the second chapter of Acts told people to do in order to be saved, to call on the name of the Lord. Now what I would like for us to do is to make a comparison 
between passages of Scripture. Now let's look first of all at Acts chapter 2 and verse 21. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to think about the expression, shall be saved. Shall be saved. He, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's in Mark 16, verse 16. This same expression shall be saved in Mark 16, 16, is the same expression in Acts 2, 21, where Peter said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, things that are equal to each other, or things that are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. You see, one passage says, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the other passage says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I conclude, and I think that all of us should conclude, that in order to call on the name of the Lord as a believer in Jesus Christ, we call on the name of the Lord when we are baptized. In Acts 2.38, to be, to, to be saved, Peter taught them they must repent of their sins and be baptized for the remission of their sins. Let, let me put that in the form of a mathematical equation. Repentance plus baptism equals remission of sin. In Mark 16 and 16, belief plus baptism equals being saved. In Acts 2.21, calling on the name of the Lord brings one into a state of being saved. If you put all of that together and we use an open mind, we conclude that in order to call on the name of the Lord, an individual must believe on Christ, repent of sin, one must confess faith in Christ, and be baptized for the remission of their sins. That's what the Bible teaches one must do to call on the name of the Lord. Now I want to tell you about another example where this expression is found. Let me introduce you to someone in the seventh chapter of Acts. This man is, his name is Saul. He's Saul of Tarsus. And Saul is holding the garments of the people that are stoning Stephen to death. And in Acts the 8th chapter, we find Saul of Tarsus entering into the homes of Christians and taking them bound and putting them into prison. It would not have bothered Saul of Tarsus to kill some of those people because he firmly believed that he was doing God's service when he persecuted the church but he received letters from the high priest that if he found any that were of the way, that he might bring them bound unto the city of Jerusalem. That's in Acts the ninth chapter. And as he was on his journey, 
there was a light that shone round about him. And he heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he asked the question, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. And if you look in Acts chapter 9 and in verse 6, Saul asked the question, Lord, what will you have me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, some people would think there wasn't anything for him to do because he was already saved. When the Lord appeared to him on the Damascus highway and he came to acknowledge that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, realized that he was saved. A man told me one day that Saul of Tarsus was saved between the, 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 the stirrup and the saddle. I didn't know what in the world he was talking about. And he alleged that Saul was riding on a horse. And that when the Lord appeared to him, it knocked him out of the saddle. And before he hit the ground, he said, Saul was saved by the Lord. So he was saved between the ground and the stirrup, I believe is the way he put it. Well, that's nonsense. If Saul was saved, poor fellow didn't know it. Because he asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? If Saul was saved, Jesus didn't know it because he told him to go into the city and there he would be told what to do. And if Saul was saved on the Damascus Highway, he's about the most miserable saved man I think I've ever read about anywhere because for three days he was without sight and he fasted and prayed. The fact is... He wasn't saved until he was told what to do. If you'll turn in your Bible to the ninth chapter of Acts, we learn what Saul of Tarsus was told to do. Why, Saul of Tarsus was baptized. Evidently, he had been told to be baptized. You'll notice in verse 18, Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose, and and he was baptized. So the man was baptized. Somebody says, well, I thought you were talking about calling on the name of the Lord. Absolutely. You see, when Saul was baptized, he called on the name of the Lord. That's what it means. To, when you obey the gospel by believing on Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing faith in Christ, being baptized into Christ, that's how you call on the name of the Lord. Someone says, how do you know that? Well, I want you to take your Bible now and I want you to turn to the 22nd chapter of Acts because in Acts chapter 22, Saul, of Saul, who later came to be known as the Apostle Paul, is giving an account of his conversion and he's really giving a defense. And I want you to look at verse number 16. And this is what Ananias told him. And he said, Why are you waiting? That's what he asked Saul. What are you waiting on? If you read out of the King James, it said, Why tarriest thou? That just means, what are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I submit to you that a person has not called on the name of the Lord 
until they as a believer in Jesus Christ have been baptized to have their sins washed away in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the blood that washes away our sins, Revelation 1.5. But Acts 22 and 16 teaches they're, they're washed away when we are baptized, not before, but when we're baptized. And that is in fact the way we call on the name of the Lord. And many years later, this man known at one time as Saul of Tarsus became the great Apostle Paul. And in Romans, the 10th chapter and verse 13, he wrote, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What did he teach in the book of Romans that a person must do to call on the name of the Lord? That a person must do in order to be saved. Well, turn back a page or two to the sixth chapter of Romans, and I want you to notice verses 17 and 18. But God, be thanked that you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and have been set free from sin. You became slaves of righteousness. What's that form of doctrine it is talking about here? You see, he says that when you obeyed that form of doctrine is when you were set free from sin. Well, what's the form of doctrine? We'll go back to the first part of the chapter. Let's begin verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been, plant, been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. What did Paul teach these people that they must do in order to be saved? They must die to sin, that is, repent. Be buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. And then they could arise to walk in the newness of life. Paul teaches in Romans 6 that when we are baptized, we are baptized into the benefits of Jesus' death that he suffered upon the cross of Calvary. And it is when we come in by faith in contact with that blood that the Jesus Christ's blood washes our sins away. That makes Acts twenty two sixteen more meaningful, doesn't it? Why tarriest thou? What are you waiting on? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You've not called on the name of the Lord until you has, as a penitent believer in Jesus have been biblically baptized. Now let me give you one more illustration and that would take us to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse number 2, Paul is talking about the church at Corinth and he refers to it as the church of God. To the church of God which is at Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, 
with all who in every place, listen to it now, call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. They were calling on the name of the Lord. Who was calling on the name of the Lord? The church at Corinth was calling on the name of the Lord. Well, what did they do to call on the name of the Lord? Let me ask you, what did they do in order to be saved? Well, turn a few pages over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in the 15th chapter, we learn what they did in order to be saved. Paul writes, beginning in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. They were standing in the gospel, by which also you are saved. Saved by the gospel. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He preached the gospel to them, and they were saved by the gospel. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What did they do at Corinth? People who called on the name of the Lord, what did they do in order to be saved? Well, if you'll turn back to the book of Acts again, this time to the 18th chapter of Acts, and in verse number 8, we learn what the people in Corinth did to be saved or to call on the name of the Lord. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. That's what they did in Corinth to call on the name of the Lord. It just simply means you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you do that today? I want to thank you for watching today. And I'd like to give you a very personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. Also, I want to urge you to pick up the telephone and right now and call the number that you've seen on the screen and request the free Bible correspondence course. And also, if you'd like to take it online, we have information on the screen to help you with that as well. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. I feel like my professors care not only about my progress in their classes, but also me as a person. Having teachers that'll pray for me is incredible. Providing a Christ-centered education is the heart of everything we do at Fault University. From the classroom to the sports fields, we emphasize integrity of character and a godly attitude in all phases of life. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 
3-6-5-8-0. Or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles. <laughs>